All right. Hey, Rock Bridge. My name is Matt and just want to welcome you wherever you are, any of our six locations or also you may be watching online or you may be watching uh, just in your home or on your device. Thank you for joining us. We're in part two of this series called Uncomfortable. We've talked about how it's been an uncomfortable year, an uncomfortable season. But, but what we said and what we saw last week is that the decision to try to get or stay comfortable, that cannot be what causes us to make certain decisions, that there's just got to be something else, something better, because we said this, right, that while a lot of us just make decisions on what's going to be most comfortable and what's going to be most convenient, what's going to be the easiest, oftentimes the things that we want the most require us to get a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, if I want bigger muscles, I've got to get uncomfortable in the gym very consistently. If I want better grades, I've got to get uncomfortable and study when I might want to not study, right? If I want a better marriage, I may have to have an uncomfortable conversation or be willing to serve my spouse more than I do or communicate better than I do. So we just said, hey, uncomfortable or comfortable cannot be the main thing that drives our decision making. All right, so in, in the spirit of that, I just want to have a, a little fun and, and kind of set up today where we're going. So listen, we're going to give everybody at home or watching online and everybody in, our, in one of our six venues going to give you kind of permission to talk or you can type this into the chat room. And so I just want you to come up with one or two things. If this were like a six, seven steps, I just want you to say, okay, how would I survive a bear attack? I just give you a little bit of time. You can share that with somebody sitting next to you. Type it in if you're watching online. Okay, what's the first thing you would do? So just go ahead and have that conversation. We'll see how many you get right in just a second. <clears throat> Type it in the chat. All right. So that's a, so. How would we survive a bear attack? Here we go. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate all this is, but here we go. Identify the bear and assess behavior. Who wrote that? I mean, who's got time for that? But that's like number one because if it's a black bear or a grizzly bear, you got to do something else or do something different. Create distance, but don't run. Yeah. I mean, that's really what's going on through your brain, right? So, because apparently, if you run, the bear's instincts are going to be to what? Chase. Now, I would say create distance. You can run if you're with somebody, you can run faster. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. If you can run faster than, no, just kidding. If you're charged by the bear, stay calm. I'm like, how is that going to help me survive? Staying calm. I don't know. But anyway, this is what came up. Uh, play dead or fight back. You know, certain bears, uh, you fight back. Certain bears, you play dead, depending on which kind of bear. So you got to know which one, you know, do the multiple choice test in your head in the 9.2 seconds you have to make a decision. And then I love this one. Escape when you can. Escape when you can. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I didn't need anybody to tell me that. Ironically, on this play dead one, uh, what it said to do is like you need to stay on your stomach. If the bear rolls you over, go back to your stomach. I'm like, this is great stuff. And they, if you want to put your hands behind your head to because the bear would go for the kill shot <laughs> around your neck. I'm like, they write this in manuals. And, and then it said this, and, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it's pretty much a direct quote. Make sure your non-dominant hand is not, when you lock your hands, make sure you put your non-dominant hand underneath. Why does it say that? In case your hand gets maimed, you can still fight with the bear with your dominant hand. Uh, who writes this kind of stuff, right? So I don't know how you did. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Here we go. And my, my worst fear, how do you survive a shark attack? I'll let you talk a little bit, share that, type it in the chat if you're watching online. How would you survive a shark attack? 
I think I just heard someone say, never get in the ocean, right? Amen, right? All right. <clears throat> how to survive a shark attack. Here we go. See how we did. Don't panic. That's like this common thing, okay? Maintain eye contact. I still don't know how that helps me survive, but apparently you don't want the shark to try to get behind you because the shark is an ambush predator. Um, don't play dead. And this is, what, this is what the thing I was reading said. Don't, be, don't play dead. It's not a bear. It's a shark. I'm like, thank you for the distinction, right? And then uh, <coughs> it says, get big or small. It depends. And, and it, what does it depend upon? If you think the shark is about to attack, get big. If it just seems to be swimming by, just sort of act insignificant and, in, and small. And then the last words in the manual are, are my favorite. Here's what it says. If the shark is in full attack mode, there is not much you are going to be able to do to do at that point. Thank you very much. I, I mean, seriously, right? And, and it was this, this thing that is my, just this statement right here justifies my answer. Never get in the water where you could possibly encounter a shark and you don't ever have to worry about that, right? All right, there we go. A little fun, <coughs> but uh, here, here's where we're going, okay? We're going to talk about in scripture, as we said last week, people in scripture who got uncomfortable. And, and what I want to talk about specifically today is a group of guys in scripture that live for something greater than survival. Because, you know, I was thinking about this and uh, just where we are, <coughs> excuse me, society, culture, Life has a way, because life can be uncomfortable. Life has a way of just putting us in what I would call survival mode. Not, not that we're trying to survive a bear attack, and that may come in useful, or a shark attack, but we're trying to survive at work, or we're trying to survive at home, or, or, or we're trying to survive with a, in a pandemic or in a recession, or we're trying to survive relationally or financially. I'm just trying to get through high school. We're just trying to make sure the football season survives, right? And it just, life has a way of putting us into survival mode. I mean, think about it. When you're like a little boy, a little girl, and, and someone says, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They don't say, hey, I just want to survive and make it till Social Security. <laughs> Nobody says that. But that's what we, but as we get older or we get hurt or we encounter, you know, not, not the proverbial bear or the proverbial shark, it, our, our dreams get smaller, our goals get minimal, and it's like TGIF, baby, I made it through the week. Or, God, we got through that. And, and I just want us to understand something about the God we worship. He wants more for each and every one of us than just surviving. He, he really does. And now, and he puts us in situations where, God, I just want to survive. But he's got more in mind and more in store and more going on than you and I can ask or imagine. And so the way I'm just praying is this. Look, I think we all ought to just kind of get past the fear. I think we all ought to just get past the, God, I just want to make it through 2020. And let's pause for just a second and maybe get to something greater than survival. And, and so I, I put you in two little scenarios with a bear and a shark. At the end, we're going to give you a different scenario. You're already in it. 
and we'll ask you a question. So hang on till we get to the end. We got some work to do. So we're going to talk about some guys in scripture that are only mentioned a couple of times. They're, some of them are called David's mighty men. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. You can follow along with me. You're welcome to turn your Bible on if that's what you have or open your Bible up. So these are the names of David's warriors. And, and they're just going to sort of tell what these guys do, okay? The first one is Josheb Bashebeth, who was the chief of the officers and he wielded his spear against 800 men that he killed at one time. The odds were 800 to one. Now, now again, all I want you to see here, and I'm not talking about this is repeatable history, but there's a principle here. Uh, and so it says, look, the power of one encounter, the power of one moment, and, and that odds aren't really a factor in his decisions, that there, he's living for something greater. And he's definitely making a decision not based on comfort and not based on survival. So just kind of just see that. He, he took his spear out and he beat 800 people. You know, he's like an ancient Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, something like that, right? After him, Eleazar was among the three warriors with David when they defied the Philistines. And you got to remember, this is a war society at this point. The Israelites are constantly fighting, constantly battling. Uh, you know, we might say it's, it's equivalent to what our nation has had to do in the war against terrorism or what our nation has to do like in World War II or something of that nature. That might help us just to understand the context of the, of, of the scripture. So they were at war with the Philistines. Now, what did they do? Well, it says this, the men of Israel retreated in the place they had gathered for battle, but Eleazar stood his ground and attacked the Philistines until his hand was tired and stuck to his sword. So he had gripped his sword for so hard and for so long that his muscles just got so tight, he couldn't let go of his sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The Lord through Eleazar, living for something more than comfortable, living for something greater than survival, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And, and I think about this and how, all, how many times, think about this, everybody around him left and fled. Think about how many times you and I make decisions about, man, what's everybody else doing? And, and who's going to be there? And is my crowd, is my audience with me? Or what do I have to do to fit in? Well, in, on this particular day, to fit in, you had to flee. But one guy said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not made to flee. I'm not supposed to live in retreat. I'm going to be more than comfortable in something greater than survival. And so he stands there, stands his ground, fights so hard. Physically, he's exhausted. His muscles are frozen with his hand around his sword. I mean, I'm going like Braveheart, baby, right now. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. You can make a movie out of this guy, right? And then the troops came back to him. Okay, so his guys come back after he's done all the work. After him was Shammah, the, and the Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils, a little agricultural detail there. But the troops fled from the Philistines, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So another guy who defies the odds. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. And so you get all these guys doing all these. These are David's mighty men. And then the last one's kind of my favorite, kind of my favorite. Uh, and, and there's a book about this guy, but his name is Beniah. And here's what Beniah does, okay? So Beniah was a man of many exploits. 
Benaiah killed two sons of Moab, and then he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, no, 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 I, I love the detail of Scripture. I love the detail of this story. I'm like, I wish it, the author had spent more than one sentence on it because I'm like, okay, if a lion falls into a pit, uh, you, what do you do? Why do you go to the lion? Why do you jump in there with the lion? And, and then it's a snowy day. Shouldn't you have been at home around the campfire? I mean, what's going on in this context? I've got so many questions, but here's what is obvious. Benaiah is not trying to be comfortable, not trying to be safe, and not living for survival. He had many exploits. And then it said this, he also killed an Egyptian, an impressive man, large man. It says this, even though the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went down to him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and then killed him with his own spear. I mean, guys, we're like, oh, I wish they'd make a, I mean, that's like, what is going on here? He's like, I don't like my weapon. I'll take yours. I, what, I mean, it's crazy. And it's in the Bible. We should read it more, right? It's an interesting book. These were the exploits of Benaiah. And so David heard about this and look what David did. David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Anybody that can take a guy, man, a big, impressive Egyptian spear out of his own hand and then use that weapon against him, I want him protecting me. And this is in the Bible, and so we, we, as faithful students of Scripture, have to always ask, well, why would God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the providential preservation of Scripture, why would God, why would God put this in the Bible? Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to, quote, do exactly what they do. These, these are descriptions of history, but they give us principles for how we live in our history. So I, I want to make three observations with you, and then we'll draw some applications. Here, here's the three observations, just from these, just from these stories that we've kind of had fun with. There is great potential in a moment. There is great potential in just moments in our lives and moments in our day. I mean, we're just out walking, and there's a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Right, we're doing battle and things are going on and there's just moments where if we train ourselves not to see problems but to see possibilities, there's just great moments. And I just start thinking, I was like, man, how many moments in my day do I miss because I'm in survival mode? How many moments in my week do I miss because I just want to be comfortable rather than I want to live for something? And greater than that. And so there's just great potential in these moments in our story, in these moments in our lives. And, and I think sometimes, especially because we're consumers and we like to be entertained, I think sometimes it's just easy to sit back and wait for something to happen. It's just easy. To, hey, when's somebody going to do something about that? When's somebody going to show me something interesting? I mean, sometimes we just get in this like, man, I'm just bored. Why, why should any of us be bored, right? There's just such great potential in these stories, in these moments that these men <coughs> find themselves in. Second observation, when God wants to do something, he oftentimes, most of the time, does it through someone, 
You see that, right? The Lord brought a great victory. We read that phrase twice. But the Lord brought a great victory through the actions, through the boldness, through the courage of Eleazar and Shammah, right? Through, through the courage of Josheb, right? Through the exploits of Benaiah, the Lord does something. So when God wants to do something, he often wants to do it through someone, and sometimes, you know, we're waiting around and we're saying, man, when's God going to do something about that? You ever said that? Or, 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 or we're sitting in church and, and we, we send an email or we send a text or we talk to the pastor. And we're like, man, we should do something. You know, the church should do something about that. Okay, what if that's you? Because you're the church. But I, I just think we ought to understand that when God wants to do something, he does it through someone. I mean, that's the story of Nehemiah. That's the story of Esther. It's the story of David's mighty men. It's the story of when God needed to save humanity. What did he do? He entered history like us. And he walked and he talked and he lived in moments of time. So when God wants to do something, he just wants to do something through someone. And I start asking questions. You know, how many moments do I miss? And I'm like, am I the type of someone that God could do something through. And then the last observation is this. Where people are positioned is not random. It's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. And when I say positioned, I, I just want us to embrace something. Where you are is where you are. I know we all want to be in a different year, in a different decade, maybe in a different body, maybe have a different job, maybe have different neighbors, maybe have a different relationship, maybe have a different marriage. I don't know what you want to be different, but what if we just said, hey, you know what? Where we are is where we are. When we are is when we are. And there's moments in these positions. There's moments where we're at. There's a reason the difficult person sits next to you in class. There's a reason your neighbor is the way they are. There's a reason you work with who you work with. There's a reason you work where you work. Listen to Acts 17. Paul says this, he's preaching a sermon. He looks out at people, he says, God has determined the appointed times and the boundaries of where people live. God has determined that. And so, so we put all this together and say, man, God has determined where I am. It's not random. It's not coincidence. God, God, you know, there's these moments that come about in life and, and God wants to do something through someone. And it almost gives me sort of a, like a math equation, but it's not really a math equation. It's like a life equation. And, and the life equation is the moments we're in, how we've been positioned, the person we are, may equal or may not equal a move of God, a move of God. Because look, through those actions of, of David's mighty men, what happened? The Lord brought a great victory. That was two of them. And one of them, it was preparation for his ultimate assignment. Benaiah, because he killed the mighty Egyptian, because he jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy, cold, snowy day, David hears about that and moves Benaiah up and pushes, positions him as his very own bodyguard. 
And so what we need to see, there's some mysterious combination in this between God's sovereignty, God sovereign, sovereignly positioning you to live where you live, to know who you know, uh, to, to know why you live, when you live, all that kind of stuff. God's sovereign positioning, God's providence working to put us in moments of time in his story, and then our responsibility to be the kind of person who recognizes their position and who seizes the moments they're in so there can be a move of God because God wants to do something through someone. And and it's interesting, in in the book of Proverbs, there's a proverb that sort of speaks to this. The proverb is Proverbs 24.10. It says this, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Now, how many of us are saying, God, take the pressure away? And this verse tells us, no, 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 you're going to have pressure, but God, but God, but saying, hey, you want your strength to be where you can leverage the pressure, where you can seize the moment and be the kind of person that God can do something through. But if you're, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. And, and it sort of reminds me of, of a book I read <clears throat> excuse me, sort of reminds me of of this book I read one time, and the book was called The It Factor. The It Factor. And it's like sometimes teams and organizations and people have the it factor. You You can't put your finger on it, but you walk into that restaurant, and there's just something different. You know, you watch that team practice and then compete on the field. There's just something different. I can't put my faith. They got this it, this it factor. And, and it's just intangible, yet it's not. It's, it's hard to define, but it's easier to notice. And I was like, man, David's mighty men, they just have what this author called the it factor, which seems to be a mindset to seize God-ordained moments for God-glorifying reasons. To seize God-ordained moments for God-glorifying reasons. I, I was reading this story about Robert, uh, excuse me, David Livingston, and David Livingston was a missionary. He was a missionary to Africa and, uh, and just one of the fathers of the mission movement. And he gets a letter. Let me, I was going to read some from the letter. He gets a letter from some friends, and here's what they wrote. They said, hey, David, we want to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? Where you're located, have you found a good road where you're located. And he writes them back and he says, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. That's it factor, right? That's it factor. (coughs) So I just want to share three mindsets, if you will, three type mentality that I think David's mighty men, it's, it, the text implies they have this. Other places in scripture imply this. <clears throat> the mentality of people who will seize God-ordained moments for God-glorifying reasons. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Doing nothing wrong and or doing what is understandable does not mean doing something right. I'm going to read that again. And we'll unpack it, but just let me read it again. Doing nothing wrong and or doing what is understandable doesn't mean that we are doing something right. Now, let's unpack that for just a second. Have you ever said to, when you were talking to God or thinking about your life, 
or making an excuse or telling your boss or your mom or your dad something. Say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, there's anything right with it either, does it? Right? But, but, but in Christianity, and one, of my, one of my beefs with American Christianity is we've reduced Christianity to, man, just don't do certain things wrong. Just, let's just not do certain things. Let's just not do certain and, and, and some people, here's what they see. Man, Christians, you know what you Christians are known for? You're known for what you're against. What do you got? What are y'all for? What are you for? And, it, and it's just so easy to go through our day, get at the end of the day, man, I didn't lie today, I didn't cuss today, I didn't kill anybody today, it sped a little bit, but God understands. Man, it was a good day. God's okay. You know, and, and I just think a text like 2 Samuel 23 just sort of challenges that paradigm. And it shows up in the New Testament too. James 4, 17 says, remember, don't you forget this, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. If you know you're supposed to do it and you don't do it, that's a sin, James says. So remember, doing nothing wrong doesn't mean you're doing something right. Now let's go, let's unpack this. Doing what's understandable does not mean we're doing something right, okay? Now let's think about this. It would be understandable if Ella Azar and Josheb and all these guys that we read about, it would be understandable if you're out there on the battlefield and everybody around you run, if you run too. I mean, it's 800 to 1. That'd be understandable. Nobody would get on to you. Nobody would say, God, what were you thinking? I, mean, I totally understand. It wouldn't have been understandable if Benaiah didn't jump into the pit with the lion on the snowy day. It'd be understandable. Like, man, it's cold out here. I'm going to let the lion get colder and I'm going to go warm. And I'll get some guys to come help me. It'd be about, man, we understand. And I think there's a lot of times where we, maybe as Christians or people in the world, we just walk around like, man, I understand why you're afraid. I understand why you're mad. I understand why you're upset. I understand, man, I'd, I'd feel the same way if that happened to me. But, and, that, and it's okay to give that understanding. It's okay to give that empathy. But it's not okay to let that rule you. It's not okay to let that keep you from why God created you. And I think a lot of us, yeah, it's understandable that we're afraid. It's understandable that we're, that we're like have a crisis confidence in our nation right now. It's understandable that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But that shouldn't keep us living in the moments God has placed us in today. It just shouldn't. And I say that based on the authority of the word of God, not the opinion of Matt Evans. I say that because of why God put us here. And, and it's like, man, God, did you not see this coming? <laughs> yeah, he did. And he knew when we would be alive and where we would be positioned. And there's just this moment there. So let's just remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Second mentality, second component of the it factor. Life with God is lived on offense. You know, I love sports. You all get that. I was raised by a football coach. You know, life with God is lived on offense. And, and I think so many of us in this season, we've just been put on our heels and we're just living defensively. Look at, look at what the scripture says. When, when God created the church, these are Jesus's words. Again, not mine. Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. 
Now, you know what a gate is. A gate's not an offensive. A gate's a defensive. A gate's defense. Defend the gates of hell. But the church is meant to be on offense. Yeah, we got an enemy, but he's lost. He's defeated. Elsewhere in James, it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Listen to Romans 8, 37. Know in all these things, and you know what these things are? Go read the verses before it. They're very uncomfortable things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are super conquerors. We will be more than victorious. You know what that means? That means at the end of the day, the score is not going to be 10 to 7. The score is not going to be 14 to 13. The score is going to be like 72 to 3 or something. Because we're more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. Now, now we read these verses and we're like, man, life is not lived on offense. Now, let me just make a distinction here. <coughs> these mighty men of David, they took the initiative. They didn't wait. You know, I, I, I helped coach, you know, my, 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 my uh, fifth grade son's football team. I coached defense, right? That's what I played when I played football. And here's the thing about defense. Defensive players have to wait for the offense to move the ball. And then we react to what they do. I think a lot of us, we're just in reaction mode. We're just going to wait. What's the virus going to do? What's the president going to do? What's the Supreme Court going to do? What's my boss going to do? God created you to live on offense. He gave you promises, power, and the Holy Spirit. God created us to take the initiative to love our wives as Jesus loved the church. He created us to take the initiative to do good every day while you have breath in your lungs. He created us to take the initiative and metaphorically jump in the pit with the lion. Yeah, on a snowy cold day. That's what he created us to do. Because he said it. The gates of hell won't overpower it. And we'll be more than conquerors through him. And then finally, here's the third mentality of the it factor. The third component of the it factor. <clears throat> and, and, I, and I get this. I got it from a couple of authors who, who kind of took this text and wrote, wrote some books about it uh, and, and preached some sermons about it. But I love the phrase. because I, I, Before I share it with you, I want you to imagine something. Let's go back to Beniah, right? Beniah, who, who jumped in the pit with the lion on the snowy day, and he killed the lion. All right, now... I want you to just use your imagination for just a minute. Imagine you're benign, you're walking through the woods and you hear a roar. You know, like you're walking, you're in the water, you see a fin, <laughs> you're walking through the woods, you hear a bear. We did all that at the beginning of the sermon, right? You hear the roar, you run, you see the fin, you're out of there, right? What did Benaiah do when he heard the roar? He ran to it. Run to the roar. Yeah, a, a lion's roar, a shark's fin, a bear's growl are designed to elicit fear. But Benaiah runs to the fear. And, 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 I, and I'm not talking about the fear that we're supposed to have. You know, yeah, we're supposed to be afraid of some things. But there's a lot of things we're not supposed to let fear have the final say in. And, and, and I think when you're following God, there's always fear because you got to walk by faith, not by sight. And when you're following God, God's going to ask you some things to do that get, beyond, that get you into the fear factors that you and I have. But what if 
a diagnostic tool of, man, am I walking with God? Is, am I running to the roars? The things that if I didn't believe in God or I didn't believe God was on my side, I would turn tail and run. I would get to the beach. I would get out of the woods. But if God's with me, and God likes to do something through someone, and God designs moments and positions people, sometimes in my life, I'm going to have to run to the roar. So we got to unlearn something, church. Unlearn this. If I have fear, I must not have faith, or God must not be with me. That is false. That is false. That is false. And then here's the truth. If we are walking with God, we are often walking toward fear, but not in fear. It's a difference, right? If we're walking with God, we are often walking toward fear, but not in fear. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy's got some fear. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind. So yet, Timothy, there's reasons for you to be afraid, but you don't have to be fearful. There's reasons for you to fear, but fear doesn't have the final say. Run to the roar. Run to the roar. Now, so those are some mentalities. Now, now where does it come from? How, how, how do you get this? Because it would be easy for me to close the sermon here and all of us could walk out and say, yeah, or all of us could say, I don't know if I've got what it takes. I don't know if I've got that in me. Now, here's what we have to see. The it factor does not come from us just giving a pep talk sermon and then saying, ready, break, amen, see you next week, go, go jump in the pit with the lion on the snowy day. The it factor comes because these men had devotion to the king. Devotion to the king. See, David was their leader. I want you to listen to one more story from some of these men about what they did for David. At that time, David was in the stronghold and a Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David was extremely thirsty and, and kind of out loud, he says, man, if someone would only bring me water to drink from the well that's in the city of Bethlehem, where the Philistines are, in, are, are behind the fortress. So three of the warriors, they heard David wanted something to drink. So what do they do? They broke through the Philistine camp and drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. They brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. They were so devoted to their king, they broke through the enemy camp, got him a cup of water, and brought it back to the king. There's nothing strategic about that mission. They just want to please their king. He refused to drink it because it says he poured it out to the Lord, made it an offering and said, Lord, I would never do such a thing. Is this not the blood of the men who risked their lives? So he refused to drink it. But such were the exploits of the three warriors. Now, here's what we need to see in this text about David. David is what people call a type of Christ. He's like Jesus. He's not Jesus, but he points us to Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. He's the true king that David points to. And do you know what cup Jesus chose to drink? The cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's penalty, the cup of God's punishment for you and for me. He says it right here. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He falls face down and prays right before his death. He says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup, this punishment, this penalty, this wrath that I'm gonna have to endure pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here's the thing, listen. Listen, when we fall in love with Jesus Christ and give him the steering wheel of our lives, 
we have a motivation and a devotion greater than David's mighty men had to him. They did their mighty acts for a fallible, flawed, but faith-filled person, David of Bethlehem. When Jesus takes over our hearts and lives because of his love and that he took the cup of God's wrath for us, when Jesus puts his spirit in us, that enables us, that empowers us to be more than conquerors, to live on offense. That empowers us to run to the roar, to live with the it factor where we seize God-ordained moments for God-glorifying reasons. So I just want to close in prayer, but I want to give you some things to pray about. Here's what I want us to know. I, I really believe this. Every single one of us is in a moment right now. You're in a moment. You're in a moment. Your moment may not look like my moment, but we're all in one. And I just want us to believe in the divine potential of it. Okay, just believe, take it by, if you don't feel it, take it by faith. We walk by faith, not feelings anyway, right? You, don't, you may not like your moment. You may not have asked for your moment. You may not have prayed for your moment. You may not have dreamed about your moment, but you're in it. And God's over it. And he's with you. So believe in the divine potential of it. Now, just like I asked you, how much you survive a bear attack or how much you survive a shark attack. I just want to ask you another question. And this one, you know, we're not going to talk about this one is between you and the Lord. But if, if we believe in the divine potential, the moment we're in, in light of who God is and where he is taking history, what is the next right thing or the next bold step me and we and us need to take? In light of who God is, and the moment we're in, and where he's moving history, what is the next right thing or next bold step for me, for we, for us to take? And now, I, I just want to ask you, pray about it, and then have the courage to jump in that pit with that lion on a snowy day. You know, uh, for some of uh, you, it's to go public and, and say, hey, I, 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 it's scary for me to be in front of people or tell my story, but I know I've got to tell my story. I'm gonna, I need to be baptized. All right? Let me tell you something about our church. During when we were shut down or, or meeting only online, we saw the number of people professing faith in Christ and getting baptized just drop to an all-time historic low and, and, you know, we weren't able to invite. We, were, we didn't really see our coworkers as much. We were confined. We get it. We understand it. And so uh, as we came back out of quarantine, started meeting again in physical locations and praying and stuff, we set a goal. We want to see 100 people baptized between September and, and December of this year. And uh, as of last week, we, we've seen 61 people get baptized at all six of our campuses. And we pr praise God, right? Yeah. And, and so here's why I say this. Some of you, you've already been baptized. Jesus has this steering wheel of your life, but you've lost boldness to tell your friends and neighbors of why Jesus is, is the source of your devotion. And maybe you need to offer an invitation. Maybe you need to share why you love Christ so someone can uh, meet him and then go public and be baptized. I, I, I don't know. You know, I think about financially. I know some people are struggling. 
And uh, again, I, I just say go to robbridge.cc slash help because we want to help our folks who are struggling. But you know, I, about a year and a half ago, I had a, a Rockbridger come into my office and he said, Matt, I, I just feel like I need to help the church. I know, you know, we've got, <coughs> we've finished in the Bold Initiative. Bold Initiative, we built three campuses in five years, three, three ministry platforms, three buildings in five years. And we launched Hickson and, we, and, and, and adopted the Cleveland campus, all of that in five years. And we were able to do it, do uh, three of those buildings uh, pretty much debt free. So we had one and he comes in my office. He says, I want to help the church, uh, you know, reduce its debt and get, you know, get some mortgages paid off. He says, he says to me, Matt, I will match up to two and a half million dollars what anybody gives to, to, to this. And that's an open offer right now. It's called the Boulder Initiative. So you can just write a check, go online, see me, however you want to do it, and just put Boulder in the memo line or go online, put Boulder. If you give five bucks, you've given 10. If you give 25, you give 50. If you give 1,000, you've given 2,000. 2,000 comes in. If you give 10,000, you give 20,000. Now, that's not living for survival. That's not comfortable. I get it. It's sacrificial, but it's generous, and, it, and Jesus is the reason we're generous. So, so if that's something, and man, God's really blessed me in this season. Maybe that's for you. Maybe it's to start giving and you've never given money away or you've never put money under the Lord's uh, lordship. That's just whatever that looks like. Some of us in our marriages, we need to take some bold steps. In our parenting, it's like, I, you know, God, I don't know how to pray with my kids. I don't know what that looks like. Man, just jump in that pit with that line on that snowy day. Those are precious moments to pray with your kids. So just what does it look like? You know, just in, I'm going to go back. In light of who he is, where he's taking history, what's the next right thing or the next bold step for us to take? And I, I want to end with this. <coughs> Robert's 360. It's how you really become a member of this church. And listen, I... I we, we want to invite people to be part of Rockbridge, not just to sit in Rockbridge or attend Rockbridge, but we want to be a church that lives on offense because that's Jesus's command and promise and the potential he's put in the church. So maybe for some of you, you're like, you know what? I, I've been coming. I've been watching online. You know, I, I, I mean, there's just something. I just think I need to take another step. Just take it by faith. Take it by faith. So with all of that to say, what I just want to do is I just want to pray because I really believe the Holy Spirit is going to give all of us a next right thing and or a next bold step. And let's just all jump in the pit with the lion on the snowy day and live for God and live for his glory in the moments he gives us, in the places he's positioned us. Let's pray together. God, right now, I just want to pray Holy Spirit clarity for every person who's watching, who's listening, who's here. Every person, God, that they would have an answer from you in this question. God, I want to pray for the not yet Christian. And right now, they understand that Jesus died in their place and invites them into his family and to live for him. And they are ready to give Jesus their sins and the steering wheel of their life. And so, Lord, I thank you that that's their next step. That's their bold move to trust you right now for the first time and make you their Lord, King, Savior, friend, comforter, and leader. And God, I pray you give them this next step of baptism. 
God, others just are, are ready to do something bold financially. God, others might just take that next step of RB360. Others have some things at work. They've got some hard conversations. Others, God, have some people they need to invite to church or, or share their Jesus story with. Others need to go say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Whatever it is, God, you give it clearly to your people. You can do it clearer than I can preach it. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus people would just be moved out of survival mode and into the mode of walking with you and jumping in the pits with the lion on the snowy day because you're with us and you've positioned us to seize the moment and not miss the moment. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.